Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and MedHab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. I'm with Jim Vance. He's a USA Triathlon Level 2 certified coach, former elite and two-time amateur world champion in ITU and Xterra. He holds an Ironman PR of 8 hours and 37 minutes and 9 seconds. And he also is an elite coach for Training Bible Coaching. Jim, it was a mouthful. Say hello to my audience. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you. So, Jim, you and I have talked a couple times, and the interest that I have in this conversation for my audience is to discuss the potential 
of future training opportunities that are going to revolve around power as a metric to develop training programs. And I know that you have, well, you're pretty well through process to develop a book, probably one of the first books that will be released on the notion of power running. So here you are. What do you think? Well, I think uh, I think it's exciting times. That's for sure. Um, you know, it, I, as much as NASA is probably excited about the the thing on Mars and all the photos they get, I get just as excited when I look at power files and things like that from runners and trying to figure out what we learn because it's you know there's so many different things in running from training and easy runs to you know the Ironman marathon to a 5K to a miler on the track. Uh, so there's you know, there's so many different things that uh, you know we we have to learn. So uh, it's it's exciting times, and it's funny. I in 2011 on uh, my blog, my website coachfans.com, it, I wrote uh, a I wrote a uh, post that said, as soon as we bring power meters into running, every world record we know will fall, even even the world records in the jumps and the throws. Uh, in track and field and that's because when you have this data you can train so much more precisely you can get recovery better you can really tweak technique better with the feedback you get and uh you know and here we are i mean in the book uh one of the things i've i've already written in one of the chapters is we are we are on the cusp of a performance revolution unlike we've ever seen well i gotta tell you i have quoted you for that very statement many many times already Mm-hmm. and it's probably going to be the thing that, that carries you through history, that you were the guy that said it. And I think you're probably right. Thanks. So, no when, by the way, when you get home, you're going to learn that it's hot as hell right now in California. <laughs> That's what I heard, so I feel fine being here. <laughs> Camarillo typically has the best weather in California, and it was 108 <laughs> degrees the other day. Oh. <laughs> Just out of nowhere. I've never seen it that hot before. Well, uh... Global warming. Yeah, well, (laughs) (laughs) the idea of power running, let's be clear on what this really means. And before the show, you and I were talking about this at pretty great length, and you made a comment that I think is worth bringing to light. When we discuss power measurement running relative to what is typical and what we're familiar with in respect to gathering power from a bike in a power meter, what do you see as the grave differences between those two outputs? Oh, in cycling, all we ever really care about is more watts, more watts, more watts. And in and in running with power, uh, well, you know, when you're actually using power and training and running, it's not about just more watts. Uh, it's it's entirely about the relationship of watts relative to pace and that efficiency. Um, you know, so at least, at least in endurance running, I can't say that for sprinting because I think down the road we'll see sprinters using these power meters. So that, that won't necessarily be the case. Maybe more Watts is what it exactly will be, but even then they're going to look at speed relative to the Watts and they're going to always be trying to figure out what little technical changes they can get to maximize performance. It's mostly, I think the only way you can really look at it is it's like being in the wind tunnel. You're constantly in the wind tunnel, like when when you're running. So you're constantly looking for ways to tweak to be faster relative for the watts that you've got. 
and that's the big difference. Okay. What you probably don't know about me is that I also coach runners. And uh-huh. one of the things that I do, well, a few of the things that I do is I measure performance relative to VO2. Uh, so we're talking economy, which is uh-huh. critical. And I'm very much a stickler in respect to efficiency. So that, in my mind, is the way you move. So the two critical things, in my mind, quite frankly, in almost any sport, is the efficiency and economy of of movement. And when you take into account the ability to measure what's occurring relative to your efficiency, opposed to uh, what is typical with measuring heart rate, and that relates to economy, that's going to be a big difference. It's going to take us to a whole other place. Would you agree? Sure. Uh, I think, though, it's we're still in a place where power is about like a heart rate number. You know, it's really, by itself, it's not going to tell us at all, really all that much. I mean, there are athletes here that have lower, lower, lower threshold watts than me on this island that competed in their, in in the race here, I'm in Kona, by the way, for the Ironman Worlds, and uh, and they they could they would beat me in a race in a running race. There are athletes who who have higher threshold powers than me that I am still faster than even now that I'm out of shape. So in, in some ways, you know, you and I could go for each say, well, we're going to go for a run at 145 beats a minute, each of us, and we're not even running with each other, you know, even though we're doing the same heart rate. So. Certainly it is. Um, it's, it's much more of a key number because, you know, its heart rate isn't, isn't necessarily going to change much because of any sort of technical change in a lot of ways. That's, that's very difficult. Heart rate can be so variable, um, even based upon the conditions. But watts, watts will change, uh, or, or even the pace relative to the watts. And that's really, you know, that's really the, the direction that we're heading. Well, pace will change relative to heart rate. And so the the thing that you said that really is the stake in the ground to drive home is that you have to have comparative analysis. One thing without another is really of very little value. If you're just looking at how much power you're producing, that's not quite as important as it is is in in comparison to pace or other variables that we could think about. Sure. And in fact, one of the things that we we found is if, if we take an athlete, we put them on a treadmill test or on a track and have them run at their threshold pace. So the best, the best pace they could hold, uh, we call it functional threshold, the best pace they can hold for one hour. And we have them do that. The, even though pace is the same, as they're running, their watts are actually going to increase throughout the, throughout the, the time that they're running at that pace because they become fatigued and therefore more inefficient and watts, the watts that they have to produce because of those inefficiencies to maintain the pace goes up. So, you know, it, what really in cycling what we tend to see is the opposite. You know, athletes are hammering, hammering, and we just see watts continue to drop. So it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. Uh, that's, that's kind of the paradoxical part of all this. Well, and, and again, not to keep you know, making this comparison, but it's important, I think, for a lot of people that are still living with heart rate, and, I, and I'm one of those, incidentally, is that when we are trying to achieve or maintain a particular pace as we fatigue, our heart rate cost is going to go up relative to pace. So that 
you know, there you go. It's it's the same kind of thing. But what's what's interesting to me about power is the way it's expressed. And I think this is where you're going to see the hairs getting split in respect to, as we discussed earlier, before we got on the show, is that power on a bike is fixed relative to force production. And it doesn't have any variables. Well, I, I take that back. There could be a variable in respect to a downhill or an uphill, but you're not leaving the ground as you do when you run. And so you could potentially have a lot of bounce in your run, which is going to eat up a lot of that force production or power, and it's not going to be much value to you. If anything, it's going to be contrary to to your forward progress. Uh So so that's going to be an interesting little metric that I think is going to be uh, laid into these devices as they start to develop. Absolutely. And in fact, so in my book that's coming out, I'm go- I'm going to be introducing a whole new line of metrics in the book uh, that really really make efficiency the the point. And in fact, ironically, last night at dinner it finally hit me. I've been really trying to work on. Uh, I knew what I, when I started this book, I had to come up with ways to help athletes understand this, but not just understand it, but apply it in the moment. Like when an athlete's out there running a marathon, running a half marathon, or whatever. They've got to be able to look at their watch and not just see pace. They can't look at pace and watts and heart rate and figure out some ratio in their mind that says, oh, okay, well, you're doing good, or, oh, I'm out of this ratio or that ratio. It's No, there needs to be one simple metric that they can look at, and they, they've got a range that they want to hit on it. They want to stay in, or they either want to keep it above a certain number or below a certain number. And, uh, yeah, and last night, pretty much at dinner, it finally – the, the pieces kind of fell into place so I'm uh, uh, I'm, I'm still got to work on it a little bit just to prove it but uh, you know that's my hope where an athlete will be able to actually be out on a run look down at their watch and they can see pace if they want but they'll be able to see a number that tells them how efficiently they're running at that pace oh now you got me dying to know what it is <laughs> <laughs> well I'll tell you what I'll give you a little teaser I'm, I'm naming the uh, I'm naming it uh, the metric it's going to be called efficiency rate well, that didn't help. <laughs> that didn't help. So I'm assuming it's a, it's an equation that's relative to power output and pace, right? Correct. Correct. And so now, you came up with a value. It won't take in heart rate. It won't take in heart rate in that moment. There'll be other. There are other metrics that will actually look at power, pace, and heart rate. Uh, you know, in different in different ways. Um, but uh, yeah. So, but uh, I think really looking at okay, this is your power output, and this is your you know, and this is your pace, there's an efficiency to, to understand what that toll is on your body at, in that moment. So, you know, if you, if you know and understand, okay, well, I can, I, you know, I can, in my training, I've shown that I can tolerate this. Well, then if I run my goal time, that's this efficiency rate. I got to maintain this efficiency rate and I'll hit it, hmm. you know, or better. So, you know, if, if I, or, or if I'm at this pace, if I'm not within this this efficiency rate at that pace, then I'm then I'm really taking more of a risk than I want. So I need that feedback in the moment to find those ways. Um, it's interesting. While I was here, I, I spoke at uh, an event uh, with Training Peaks, who's who's one of the big analysis software companies uh, around. Most most of the triathlon coaches use it. I don't know how many running coaches use it, but uh, it's great stuff. And I went and spoke. They did a training peaks university here where they teach coaches a lot of different things and i you know i walked in the room and 
and I was, uh, you know, I was having to kind of give them this information for the first time, and uh, really uh, dealing with, uh, you know, them, them <laughs> taking a room full of cycling coaches that are used to power and trying to explain this. Well, <laughs> you can imagine it was uh, it was pretty challenging. But I even uh, I even had to uh, look up the, you know, put on the put on the screen that during the Q and a slide, like I reserve the right to, to say, I don't know the answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> so there's still a lot we don't know, but, um, I think, uh, when we, when we look at, uh, a lot of this though, it's, there's, there's, there's new variables that are, that are kind of being introduced and they're, they're all going to be based around efficiency though. So I would guess, I would guess now I'm just speculating and I have a lot of this, uh, creative, gene in me in respect to this technology myself. But what I would expect is that when we start looking at power output and using that as an effective metric running, that somewhere along this device is going to need to be possibly an accelerometer to take into account the angle that you're directing this power. Um, because just force production on its own, unless there's real sensitive sensors in the in the footbed that's going to identify um, the shift in the angle of your foot. Um, well, I don't even know if that matters because if you're if you're running tall and falling versus being bent at the waist, I mean, I, I just think that up the structure there's probably going to be issues. But where I'm going with this is that there's probably going to be need for an accelerometer to kind of give a sense of the uh, available power to forward progress relative to um, just the general power. Are you with me, or am I, am I losing it? Well, there is one product that is an accelerometer based, so to speak. It sensors. Um, so that's a company called Stride. There, there, they have a product, and there's based in the center of the core. Um, RPM squared is the other one, and there's is footbed based. Um, I think based upon how you know, one of the advantages that the footbed based one has is it can understand where the pressure is most within that thing so and then based upon how you kind of tow off i think it'll be able to tell the directional angles so i don't necessarily know that an accelerometer is necessary with that one um it would kind of depend on the, the algorithm but uh you know certainly it has the potential to to measure uh, uh, directional forces because of of how how the force changes over the course of, of the entire footbed, right. you can you can pretty much traject have a trajectory to understand where you know where the force is coming off tangent wise. Well, let's look at it. Uh, um, endurance athlete running a marathon opposed to someone running a hundred, and uh -huh. you're going to get uh, that angle is going to be more acute for the sprinter than it would be for an endurance athlete, and so then it becomes a function of um, the efficiency rating kind of like what you're trying, trying to come up with, relative to the posture or force production and even the footbed even. Um, I, I don't know. But I, I hear what you're saying, and I, you know, I, I'm a fan of the RPM square mentality, and I think they're doing a great job uh, revealing a, an insole that's going to do things that so far no one else has been able to produce, which is, you know, there's just a scat of metrics that you gather uh, in respect to, well, for example, I don't think Stride would be able to give you things like bilateral equivalents, probably. Correct, correct. Uh, which, to me, is a really uh, important metric because, you know, getting centered up where both legs are doing the same amount of work is going to 
uh, end up as an expression of efficient power? Sure, sure. Yeah, there, there's advantages and disadvantages to each, you know, just like in our, you know, we see in the cycling world, you know, um, and certainly, you know, some of those are costs, some of those are benefits, some of those are, you know, other features that things that, that you know, like stride can only can only really measure power, uh, whereas the RPM squared can also do flexibility testing. That's pretty impressive. They've got uh, a really good, uh, obviously, it can be used on a bike, which is, you know, very unique. Um, as well as in running, it also can you know it's it's a decent communication tool for for working with a coach and storing certain things. Um, there's there's just a lot I like about uh, uh, there's things to like about both. There's definitely a lot of cool things that even outside of training with power that as a coach I would use RPM squared for. Uh, you know, squatting. Uh, one of the things that's interesting, you know, and this is where this is where power really, I think, is is going to help us in in the coaching world so much more. Um, I have an athlete who uh, that uh, power files that I saw that runs the exact same course, goes out one day, runs um, runs eight minute miles for eight minute mile for the first mile, right out the door, same course here in Kona. It was just this past week. Uh, and he's doing it at about 279 watts. Comes back then two days later, runs his first mile in 10 minutes, and it was only eight watts higher. Now, that's a that's a big difference in terms of pace. But the work that that that, that athlete had to do to produce that's you know that pace was was actually even higher. So right. it shows you that well, that was a two minutes slower. So you know when we look at things from a from a from a training stress perspective, if we if you said go out and run easy ten minute mile, you would think well that's you know that's that should be easy. There should be no training stress on the athlete for that. But the athlete was literally so inefficient um, that they couldn't that it did not go well. Like they they're literally putting doing more work and causing. You know, and it's more stressful at that 10-minute pace. Now, the caveat, some people might say, well, they're running so slow, so much slower. That's the difference. I'm leaving one part of the story out, which is the athlete fell down after day one in, in between those two days and, uh, and literally hurt himself, hurt his knee, scraped himself up, and, and started that run. And he couldn't, you know, he, he was sore. He was kind of limping along. And so, you know, it, the ability to see injuries is and, and the cost of those injuries and how much work you have to do uh, because of potential injuries like that or the ability to see injuries coming on, maybe due to bilateral inequivalence. Maybe, okay, you're, you're seeing, wow, this athlete has, has a, you know, it's clearly that uh, their, their hamstring, we're noticing some hamstring tension and some flexibility tests and, and now look at the bilateral inequivalency is up uh, while they're running. So, you know, and she's, it's a clear sign like, hey, if we don't do something here, we might be looking at a pulled hamstring or some other compensation type injury. Uh, maybe this athlete needs to take a few days off, get some massage therapy. Maybe, maybe they need to be more involved in yoga or other stretching types of things. And then you can actually now all these recovery things, too, that we do like those, like yoga, massage therapy, rolling on rollers, uh, stretching. Now we can actually see the benefit of those things, where in the past we've always just kind of had to say, well, you'll feel it, you'll notice, you'll feel better. It's like, well, now I can show you that you're actually better because of it. 
Well, one of the things that you, you've said a couple times here that I'm not sure I'm with you on is a blanket statement like yoga. I, I don't know, and, and I'm sure you're aware that there's the dynamic stretching associated with sport relative to static stretching. There is some implication associated with going into a lot of static stretching. You can actually create, sure. you could actually detract from your ability to produce more work. Sure. Uh, and I mean, they've shown studies in vertical leap and things like this. So mm-hmm. um, I've always been a little careful not to just tell someone, oh, yeah, no, get involved in yoga and that's going to be the panacea. It's going to correct all these problems sure. you have. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I mean, more of, you know, a lot of people use yoga as a recovering slash stretching tool because they're in general very tight through the core, the hips, the, the hamstrings. So. Uh, I agree. In terms of a performance base, it's not something that I would say. But in terms of a health base, could it have some? Could it have some benefits? I think it could. I mean, certainly, this is one we can see. We right. could actually see it. And uh, you know, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm with you. Certainly, I don't prescribe uh, static stretching to any of my athletes, especially during warm-ups or, or things of that nature. Yeah, if somebody put a power meter on me right now, it would probably be flashing. Just go home, dude. Just go home. <laughs> <laughs> don't even do this. So uh, I, I could probably use a yoga class, but it would be an assisted yoga class. I'd probably need about five or six people just to hold me down and stretch me because I'm just so tight. Mm-hmm. And part of it is because I sit at this desk too much. But that, that, that's another story. So um, I, I love this whole idea of being able to really get a sense of the production. And as you suggested, and I thought it was a really good point, is that aside from what is typically done with heart rate is, you know, you say, well, woke up in the morning, heart rate's a little high relative to the run I did the other day. It cost me a little bit more. Uh, maybe I need a day off or things are a little buggy. But uh, now we're starting to talk more about, rather than the economy, we're starting to talk about mechanical efficiency and the deficits that are going to be showing up relative to mechanical deficiencies that are going to be expressed through the ability to gather this information through this power device. And again, we're going to be just up front. You know, I'm involved with RPM Square. I think that's the company that's on the forefront, and that's going to be the one to watch because, well, there's just so many decisive advantages, being able to get all this information in respect to what your feet are doing, the bilateral equivalents, the uh, ability to carry it on and off the bike. Um, and for the price point, I think it's, it's going to be a tough thing to beat. It's definitely a solid product. It yeah. definitely is. Yeah, so I have to I have to wonder, and this is the challenge guys like you and I deal with now, is writing program relative to power opposed to writing a program relative to heart rate or even perception and pace. Are you thinking in terms of marrying the information? Are, are you thinking about, as I, I talked to Hunter Allen, and he said that back in the day they used to look at the comparative analysis between power and heart rate, and he's kind of lent himself away from that now where he's more exclusively looking at power on the bike as opposed to heart rate. Um, do you think it's going to change? Do you think it's going to be a, 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 the same kind of path in respect to uh, divorcing heart rate, or do you think that heart rate is always going to be a critical component to the training? I, I don't think it's going to be as critical. Now, with that said, I am, I am gonna, uh, going to be launching uh, you know, a metric that shows uh, – it shows a relationship along with heart rate, um, you know, in post-workout analysis. 
Um, but even then, I think what you know what we what I think we tend to want to look for in terms of in terms of uh, heart rate is more trends of heart rate. You know, like the economy of is am I getting faster for for this for a given heart rate, or am I lowering my heart rate for a given given intensity and pace? Over you know, relatively speaking, over certain maybe it's over certain longer durations or whatever. It just depends on the goals of the athlete. But I think I think it is going to have a a further back type of uh you know down the down the totem pole. It's going to be down on. But uh, that said, I don't. I don't think it's going to be totally gone by any sense. Now, what I think a lot of people, too, are just expecting, too, like, well, there goes pace. No, we're not going to care about pace anymore. It's like, no, absolutely not. We're still going to care about pace. We're absolutely going to care about pace. That's the entire point uh, is to run fast, to run better. So I, I, when I thought this, I actually thought like a cyclist, well, now that power's here, we're probably not even going to care about pace anymore. And then as I started looking at it, I was like, no, that's not the case at all. Pace... Pace now becomes just you know just as equally important as power. So um, so I think we're going to get away from it. Will we actually prescribe you know runs on power zones? I think I think that's going to happen. Yes. Um, do I think that it's uh, you know do I think that that's all we'll do? You know that's where the innovation and coaching is going to come about. That's what's really kind of, that's what I'm most excited about is what can we really see from this? What, how, how well can we improve the, the types of training stresses we deliver athletes? You know, a lot of us take the hard, easy day, you know, hard day, easy day approach in training. Um, you know, maybe this is going to show us, well, you know, <laughs> you can go two days in a row hard and one day easy with a lot of athletes or something on that, depending on how you structure it. Um, and the different types of training stress. So, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, the great thing is we're going to get we're going to get critical feedback in better ways, and certainly heart rate is going to be one of those as well. This may, this may also down the road, you know, heart rate variability is still kind of a, kind of a big. I don't I don't want to call it controversial, but, you know, it's 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 definitely a thing that's come out that some people embrace, some people don't. Um, but you know, if we start looking at heart rate variability relative to efficiency in in our running, that maybe that's a sign. Like, hey, now you're in trouble. Look, your your running efficiency changed with this. At the same time, your heart rate variability did X. You know, well now now we know. So now we know we okay, we've got to stop and make some changes. This athlete needs to rest. Or or hey, wow, you're you're it only took you two days to recover from that big set. We're ready to go on the third day rather than thinking it was gonna be third three days on, three days light. Right. So so, you know, the the ability to really individualize the training stress, uh, I think is gonna be huge and really get in more data, understanding understanding where the athlete's at. Um, you know, it's funny, I, I get, I've been asked many, many times, like, you know, for my athletes, especially triathletes, what wheel should, wheel set should I get? What, um, you know, what, what frame should I ride? What do you think of these, these shifters or this, this arrow helmet? You know, you know, I've, I've always told people, look, I've, I've never in all my days of racing had one piece of equipment that allowed me to train dumb and still be successful on race day. <laughs> So, you know, so get training right, you know, go back to the training model, you know, worry about that stuff first, invest in your training, get that right. And then, you know, you can, <laughs> all the other stuff will take care of itself. So that's an interesting point you made, <laughs> but there, there's clearly, 
the intangible investment associated with making the right decisions with your training could be an expense that'll be something you'll be paying for for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where you know what the fixed expense is to buy those wheels or that helmet or what have you. So mm-hmm. it becomes kind of an accessory rather than, you know, the meat and potatoes, right? Exactly. So, yeah, I'm with you. And I, I don't, I, I really do not like to hear people talk to me about training perceptively because they know their body. And, I mean, I, I don't know whether that bothers you, but I, I get a lot of athletes that will want to tell me that. They, oh, you know, I'm okay, and I, I, I know what I can do or what I can't do because I, I just know my body. And I would like to believe that you're with me on this, that perception of effort is not always something you can count on. Clearly, you develop a sense of what you can do based on your history, but there's always going to be something that comes up that's going to influence your perception. And I would rather know and have a system of training that I can depend on and can relate to as things change opposed to just hoping that everything's going to work out as it has yesterday or the day before. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a believer in training by feel if... If the athlete is willing to accept accept data, gather data, to improve that perception, I think perception by itself and just training, going out and running. Well, I feel I feel decent this morning when I wake up, so today's going to be a hard day. You know, it's like no, I, I'm not a believer in that. Uh, I believe you have to have a plan. You have to write things out, and then there's days where you kind of have to, you know, you kind of be flexible on. That's where the perception comes in. I believe on race day, you should you should be racing on perception. Like if you feel like, hey, you know, I'm I'm here, I'm ready to go. Like, you know, now I say that that's for very very high level athletes that have very high goals. So maybe not even high levels the right way to put it, but athletes with high high goals. So that can be that can be your Boston qualifier. That can be your, you know, your, uh, you know, your person trying for the Olympic trials, or, you know, something of that nature. I think th- those are, those are okay. But any athlete that shuns technology, that says, you know, I don't really want that stuff. I don't want to look at data, and they just want to be, you know, in the bliss of whatever their perception is. Well, I think that's an athlete that's that's going to be on a very up and down roller coaster and really not be as fulfilled in their in, in in their training and their and just their enjoyment of the sport because i mean <laughs> i i worked with a very prominent triathlete a very elite triathlete and he he told me flat out well i when i said look we need to collect data he was like well i just want to train by feel i was like look you can go train by feel that's fine but you better get some data from me so i can tell you how your feel is <laughs> how good it is yeah. and where it needs to be improved and this and that. And so, and this was a, this is a very, very successful traffic. I mean, extremely successful. So now he just wouldn't embrace it. So it, I, I couldn't no longer work with him um, because I'm just not that way. So, <laughs> Well, Dave Scott was one of those, you know, yeah. back in the day. He, he didn't look at anything. He wouldn't even wear a watch when he was yeah. racing. You know, he just went out there and his, his idea was see if you can catch me. And, uh-huh. and he was very good at his perceptive uh, race pace and what have you. But as you suggested, I mean, most average people, and I find this interesting too when I hear coaches talk about, okay, let's see, let's do a, let's do a X workout at your 10K pace, or let's do X workout at your 5K pace or your half marathon pace. A lot of people out there 
don't even they can't shift those gears. They can't tell. They can't just like okay, all right, I'm going to back down to my 5k or back up to my 5k or up to my 10k pace. They don't know what that means. They don't uh-huh. know what that's going to end up being until they actually run the 10k and find out. Well, I guess that's my pace because they uh-huh. don't have enough history in their running and experience timing and, and looking at things like this uh, where they just know what it's going to be. Uh, I think I think that the resistance we're going to see early on. And it's going to be much like the resistance we still see with heart rate is the, the complexity of it. It's p- people, the, and I'm not talking about elite athletes anymore. I'm talking about just the average consumer. They're fearful of it because they assume that, A, they're not worthy, that the information is only pertinent to people that are really trying to win a race, and they're assuming they're not going to win a race, so it doesn't matter. Um, and then you got the, I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, it's, it's confusion. There is a lot of confusion in respect to how to employ heart rate when you train. And I happen to have written a book that I, I felt was all about trying to simplify the nature of using heart rate in training. And, you know, given that you did use it properly, how effective it could be. And I think it's going to be the challenge for power as well. It's going to be a function of, you suggested, you know, giving them a specific number to work from. And maybe it's a function of one, two, three, four, five, and I'm just using that as an analogy, but relative to the intensity or the pace or the distance, um, the given day, what the theme was for the day, what that number might be, much like is done with heart rate. But I I, want to go a step further and say that I, I personally, as a coach, when I start using power with athletes, I don't think I'm going to say, well, don't need that heart rate anymore. Uh, I think I'm going to need, I want to get as much information as I possibly can from my athletes. And I want to, I want to be, and I, and I think perception is, is a metric. I think how you, feel, sure. how you feel relative to what you're doing um, on your bad days, your good days, and what type of performance you create relative to your heart rate, your power, and your perception, the weather, all these bits of information are what create the puzzle. Uh, that we need to use to make decisions moving forward with people. Mm-hmm. And and I think you'll find even in my book when it when it comes out here, that I'm still going to be using heart rate to a degree. It's still especially in post workout analysis and tracking trends. So I'm definitely a believer in in collecting all all the data you can. I'm absolutely about it because you know and even as I as I'm on this call here with you, Richard is uh, there's things that I don't know yet. <laughs> you and I both. Yeah, that, uh, I don't know what what we're going to see, what we're going to find. We may find that that uh, you know there's a, a some sort of proportionate uh, you know uh, uh, relationship between you know between power and heart rate at you know a certain mechanical efficiency, you know, and you know all of a sudden like we can and maybe we can see that you know that big change or something or you know so. <laughs> Trust me, there is so much out there that we don't know right now. Um, there's a gentleman named Mac Fleet, uh, you know, two-time NCAA champion, I believe, in the 1500 meters for Oregon. I've known him uh, many, many years. I used to train with him when he was a high schooler in San Diego. I uh, help him with his tempo runs since he needed somebody to push him. And uh, I'm trying to get Mac to run with power, this power, these power meters, and he's excited to do it. And uh, you know, because I said, you know, we don't know what we're gonna find. We don't know what a what it should look like for you know a sub four minute mile we have no idea no one's ever done it 
<laughs> so yeah. I'm excited to see it and see, okay, well, what, you know, what are we going to find out? What, what's the, you know, what does it look like, uh, relative, you know, for everything indoors meets versus outdoor meets, fast times versus slower times, early in the season versus late in the season. Well, you know, when is the big hit point? What, you know, we just, we, there's so much we don't know. So I'm, I think at this point you should, you should be embracing all data and then, Let's look at the whole thing and see and see what we see from there. Like, well, what surprises us? To, to I think to to cancel out any sort of metric or or data point is uh, just because you you think it's not worthwhile is is uh, foolish. Right, and I think in the short term, what's going to be interesting, and at least in my camp where where uh, power is concerned, is the awareness of the mechanical corruptions that are being created, because most people, as you know that run have really no sense of how they're actually making contact with the ground. And I do video analysis on people, and I do I did a clinic this past weekend where I'll video people and show them in the video the way they're running. And in fact, they thought they were on their midfoot while they were running, and turns out they were heel striking and overstriding. And they had no idea. I mean, they're just aghast. They can't believe that, oh, my God, is that really? I did, oh, they're just they're taken back. They can't believe that they were actually making those mistakes. And when you're able to start defining the way you're making contact with the ground, when you can start leveling the way you're making contact with the ground with both legs, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a big advantage. It's going to start to show in the economy. Uh, your your heart rate costs are probably going to start coming down relative to pace. Uh, your efficiency and your ability to put on more distance without having injury is going to is going to be more of a thing. And so, uh, you know, I, I know that just with even without with having the advantage of looking at power with the coaching and the work I do with people where I'm such a stickler about efficiency that when I get people moving better, their times drop and without having any influence really on their metabolic structure. We're not really doing anything to cause them to have a higher VO2 score. We're not causing their threshold to go higher. We just change the way they're moving. And their cost factors go down and their pace goes up. So um, it's going to be that type of correlation, the data collection with uh, the outcome, that's going to be a huge, huge advantage moving forward. Sure. Oh, I agree. Yesterday I was out here in, uh, in Kona, did a, did a workout with a young man named uh, Ben Canute. He was our top uh, triathlete at uh, the World Triathlon Series Championship finale in Chicago. Um, he missed our Olympic team by 34 seconds. He was 20th. He needed to be top 8. And 8 was 34 seconds in front of him. Young kid, 22, doing great. He's come a long way. We've been working on with him on his run for a long time. So yesterday on Elite, he did a workout. He did uh, six times a mile with a mile, mile jog in between it at base pace in between but the six by one mile was at you know his 10k pace off the bike uh, or just slightly above but uh 15 miles total and and i put a put a power meter on him and i said we're gonna you know we're gonna look at this and i'm gonna go back and review everything and and kind of see and we we really worked on certain certain aspects of things he's worked a lot with bobby mcgee who's uh obviously one of the top run coaches around um uh, on some technical things and so we're really just reinforcing him and uh, we're, we're looking forward to kind of going back and seeing okay what do we see in terms of uh, when he really focused on that what was what was it and after every interval after every mile when he was recovering as I'd give him his water and things we debriefed 
We debriefed on that mile. How did that go? What did we do right? What did we do wrong? What, what do we need to focus on better here? You know, or were we tensing up? I mean, it was constantly, there's still a mental part to this. There's absolutely a mental part to it. It's a, really the times that he ran, we didn't care. It's hot here. It's, it's a, most people think a lead drive is flat. It's not flat at all. It's uh, <laughs> here, but uh, it's, it was a it was a really good opportunity to kind of see that, and I'm looking forward to going through the data. I haven't been able to download it yet and look through it, but uh, it's it's an exciting time to really look at these types of things and, and uh, see see the changes we can make very quickly and how they how they impact performance. All right, so I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, the, the kind of closing questions. But here's being a coach, being someone that works with elite athletes, works with athletes around from running to triathlon and what have you. We, and also someone that looks at these uh, these metrics, and you know that's your bread and butter. You're spending a lot of time, I'm sure, looking at your laptop and looking at power readings and looking at heart rate, looking at pace, things like this. If you were to offer up three solid tips to, well, it's a natural running network, so let's focus on running. You, you got a runner. Three things that they need to focus on, they need to embrace that most people don't right now. What would they be? Well, I think the first thing is their recovery. You know, so many athletes just think about the workout. It's not what you do necessarily in the workouts, what you do in between the workouts that really determines how the workout went or how the workout's going to go. So, you know, recovery, I think, is huge. You've got to you've got to make sure you're getting the, the right nutrition. You've got to make sure you're getting the right amount of sleep. You've got to make sure you're doing the right amount of uh, addressing any types of injuries you have. You know, I'm a big believer in massage therapy. Um, you know, I, I'm a, my athletes that are here in Kona, they get worked on every single day leading into the race for five days. So, you know, it's it's really important, the, the recovery and the preparation and those types of things. So so I'd say recovery needs to be prioritized. There's There, it, it, there should never just be a day off. Just because you're not running doesn't mean you're not you're not helping your running. So you've got to you've got to you've got to have some sort of proactive uh, attempts to, to recover during your recovery times and recovery days. So I would say that's first and foremost. Um, the second thing is I would I would say athletes have to understand what it is they're truly preparing for, and that is, uh, you know, if they're if they're if they're going to go for a, a marathon, okay, go for a marathon, but. You know, make sure that what they're doing is actually preparing them specifically for that. So many athletes just train according to what what what, what the people in the neighborhood are doing, you know, or their running partner that they meet up with every morning to go for a run with. And uh, so you got to know what you're preparing for, and you got to make sure that it's what you do is specific for that. Um, and then I would say that uh, one of the key elements of of a race is is often overlooked. And that's the point at which there's no such thing as harder anymore. Um, I created a run that I use with all my athletes called the envelope run. And uh, what it is is I have these at, it's kind of, it was kind of the precursor to power meters, ironically, when you think about this. But uh, I have my athletes go out for a run and they may have like a, like some sort of, uh, you know, some sort of GPS wrist unit. And they're not allowed to, they, they warm up and they, they work into it and then they get to this point where they're okay I'm running and this pace is easy and to go any faster I have to put more effort in and what I tell them is at that point where that where that edge is that you're going to push the envelope of that easy pace 
and you're only allowed to do it not by going harder but by changing something technically with what you're doing maybe it's focusing more on your foot strike maybe it's leaning forward maybe it's adjusting your head position maybe it's more arm action something but effort is not allowed to be the, the, the reason you go faster you're not allowed to do that and it really gets athletes to take inventory of themselves understand in that moment okay what is it wow if i just leaned a little bit forward my cadence went up you know my pace increased and boy i, I didn't even have to have, it wasn't from effort it was just this small little change that i did or where i where i placed my eyes or something um that gets athletes the opportunity to really see changes in economy and efficiency because there comes a point in every race and i don't care if it's a I don't care if it's a mile on the track or a marathon, ultra marathon, Ironman, whatever it is. There's no such thing as harder. There comes a point in that race where harder is done. You are no longer going to be able to go any harder. You're at your max. What are you going to do to maintain the speed or even go faster? And those moments are made in training by really focusing on those those efficiency things. Wow, that was a pretty interesting uh three comments i thought first of all i agree with everything you said i i, I think that uh of the three first one's probably most important in my mind but number three really stands out with me because i'm such a geek for mechanical efficiency and i i've done this myself with people where i'd be riding along on a bike alongside them we're tracking some information i'm looking at their heart rate relative to their pace and i'll say something as simple as okay i want you to get your hips forward get your hips forward, get your, and their perception is I'm about, I'm about to do a backflip, but we we get them upright uh, opposed to where they were, they're bent over at the, the hip, and their pace picks up, uh-huh. and I'm looking at it, I'm, I'm, I'm reading it off to them, they're not looking at their devices, I have it on my bike, and I'm going, look at you, just, you just dropped 15 seconds from your pace, and nothing changed, your heart rate's the same, and you, you've shoved your hips forward, and you just freed up your hip flexors, and all of a sudden, here you go. So, yeah, I think that's real powerful stuff. And I think you're absolutely right about the recovery. Um, I do a lot of work with obstacle racing athletes, and right now, there's just no, there's nobody out there like a Jim Vance that's driving these people down the road to righteousness, helping them to better understand how they should be periodizing, how should they be picking the race, as opposed to just beating the hell out of themselves three, four times in a weekend. Um, and what I've done, you know, Dotsie Bosch. Yes. Dotsie sent me a pulse oximeter. Have you played with this thing? No. So I've got a pulse oximeter that gives you three metrics. Okay. It will tell you your, your oxygen saturation tells you what your resting heart rate is and gives you a value. It's called a PVI, which tells you essentially what, um, potentially your hydration status looks like. So if you're just taking those three values first thing in the morning, uh, then you work out after you work out, before you go to bed, and then kind of having a, a trend where you're looking at these values, you start to get a sense of what you should be getting away with and what you shouldn't be getting away with. If it doesn't do anything other than to remind you that you need to hydrate yourself uh, more efficiently, you win. If it tells you that uh, your O2 saturation is really, really low, you're probably pretty beat down, uh, along with your resting heart rate being too high, pretty beat down. But it's a real quick little deal. You just throw it on your finger for a couple minutes, and you get some pretty good information. Now, uh, I realize that this is out there. It's kind of a geeky thing for uh, a lot of just recreational folks, but 
If you're starting to worry about being overtrained, you probably are, right? <laughs> For, sure. For sure. So it's worth uh, it's worth an investment to look at things like that. So uh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, hook up with Dotsie. She's I think she represents the company that that uh, is producing this thing. And um, I've got a couple guys, like I said, I'm working with that. I um, we're starting to play with it just to see. You know, I, again, I'm a geek. I like this information. The more I can get, the better I like it. Sure. Jim, I'm looking forward to seeing the book. And you're telling me this is going to be published in December or released to the publisher in December? Uh, I'm supposed to send it into the publisher here first uh, of December. So, you know, I've got about six weeks here to finish it up and and things. But, uh, yeah, this is uh, we've been a little behind because the technology has been a little late to kind of get to the market. Um, so it's uh, what I had hoped to start really with the hands-on research in June turned out to be September. So, so right. when that happened, uh, obviously I'm, I'm a little under the gun. That's why this week was, has been great in Kona, really meeting with a lot of uh, top, you know, top coaches and, and even just uh, people I respect in the industry and, and doing yeah, even meeting with the companies here. Uh, all the power meter companies are here. Uh, so seeing them, talking more, getting to know more about the products, seeing that even at Interbike, I think RPM Squared was an Interbike, saw more, more of it. And, and so it's it's been good. Uh, and yeah, I'm I'm gonna be under the gun, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to getting this out. Uh, you know, it's it's gonna be it's not gonna be uh, the goal is to make this an introductory book. Right. Uh, you know, if you're if you're a super scientist looking for a lot you'll you'll learn stuff it'll it'll be a good introductory i'll have some but there's even some other things that i've, I've started to look at that i'm you know even with talking with joe Friel, who's you know best selling selling endurance training author of all time he's he said save that for the second book yeah <laughs> i was like oh you mean i gotta write another one yeah yeah i know joe and i think joe's probably about 14 18 books deep and you know, it seems like uh, you're you're scrambling up the same detail, but it, it really isn't. I mean, th- we evolve. We're still alive, so we learn. And we, and, and, and I'm working on a book again myself. And and uh, I, quite frankly, I'm a terrible writer. And it it take. I hope I live long enough to finish this book because it usually takes me quite a long time to do it. So what's the, what's the name of the book? Is that going to be uh, preordained? Uh, or? The working title is Run with Power. Uh, so, but it'll be out from Mellow Press. Uh, hopefully early spring, uh, yeah. late winter. So they're, they're they're on a tight timeline for it. So uh, you know we'll see. We'll see. Uh, uh, I'll finalize. I actually have another book out uh, that's it's triathlon specific you know, that's coming out in the spring. And that's through Human Kinetics, and that's triathlon 2.0 uh, data driven performance training. And it's, wow. Uh, and it's about coaching yourself to a half Ironman or Ironman using a power meter on your bike and a GPS for running and swimming so uh taking you through the different states phases of the year and looking at what metrics are most important for you based upon your age gender and goals and and uh yeah it's been letting you kind of guide the way and and see if see if you're kind of heading towards the the thresholds that i set for each of those different things age gender goals that's awesome all right well i'm going to give a shout out to rpm square and for those of you out there listening to this rpm square dot com simple as that and look into it i mean if you're listening to what we just talked about and you're salivating and you're curious i think that's probably the direction i would lend you towards is that there's just a lot of information coming up out of these insoles and what's really cool is you get the data you can upload it into an email and send it to a guy like jim vance or myself and we can look at it and say no dude not like that do it like this right (laughs) 
Yeah, hopefully we don't have to say that. Hopefully they're doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> no, they got to do it wrong, man. Otherwise they don't need us, right? Yeah, well, Jim, thank you so much for taking the time. Well, thanks for having me, Richard. You bet. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.